following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Episode 772 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and the scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. I thought you were going to say Wordle Champ. <laughs> Wordle Champ. You were very excited about your two guests win today. I was, until you also got a two-win guess. Well, I wasn't going to go there, <laughs> but um, that absolutely happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty remarkable in your case, because for me, it's really about luck with the first word that you start are, with yeah, yeah. And, and how many you get. But I, well, I, I can't use the words because I don't want to spoil it for people who may not have played or I don't know when people are going to listen to this. We should but- explain what Wordle is because if you're not on Twitter, that's how I learned about it. I don't know how you learned about it. Yeah, so it's, it's... It's gone nuts, everybody talking about Wordle. It's a game on a website. It's not an app. And there's a daily five-letter word that you guess. And there's a hard mode, which I haven't played, but on the regular mode... I can barely get by the the regular mode. You put in a word, you guess, you put enter, and it has to be a real word. And then it tells you which which letters you have correct. So if, if you have the letter correct and it's in the right spot, then you have a green box. If you have the letter correct, but it's not in the right spot, you get a yellow box. And so you have to narrow it down based on what you guess to figure out what the word of the day is. And so today I I put in my first guess and I had three letters that were green. And I think in the right spot too. Yeah, well yeah, cuz green oh, means green. in the yeah, right yeah, spot. Yeah, in the right spot, right. So I was I have played before. <laughs> I was very excited and got it on the second try and then you I think played your first word and just had one yellow box. Yeah, one yellow, yeah. And then you got it all on the second try. How does that happen? Well, just absolutely luck. But it was the oh, it was the first. It was the first. I started with anyway. I don't want to give the whole deal away. But I, I just guessed a word that started with the letter that I had right, and then I just happened to get it. Yeah. So, uh, but let me tell you, I'm not like a a word guy. A, a, I'm not a word guy. I'm not a word game person. <laughs> uh-huh. And I fucking love this Wordle. I think it's awesome. Yeah. No, it's very fun. I've turned several friends onto it. And now we send our little scores back and forth. And I think everybody we've t- turned on to the game, we have multiple threads going where we share our results for the day. Yeah. Yeah. So if you uh, like word games, or if you're like Jesse and you don't like word games, this episode is brought to you by Wordle. I didn't say I don't like them. What are you, a member of the audience right now? It is, I said... It's not brought to you by Wordle. I'm not, not. I'm not... Oh, I don't go crazy for word games. I'm not super great at them. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not that I I hate them or whatever you say. <laughs> I think you hate them. That's what I'm getting. Is that yeah, what you... Yeah. yeah. Well, I did try to firebomb Wordle headquarters, but other than that... 
I don't know if firebomb jokes are super great. If we could avoid firebomb jokes. That yeah? Would be, yeah. I think they're real popular. I think just if we could avoid them, if possible. I don't know. I think I'm going to keep doing them. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to... In fact, I'm going to I'm going to dedicate all of my comedy yeah to firebomb jokes. Can we get a new drop from Haas please that is specifically related to firebomb jokes? Until then, this is what we got. The views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. Until then, that's what we got. Okay. That'll work. So sorry, everybody. <laughs> sorry about my my edgy firebomb humor. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to be telling my firebomb jokes in line to get onto a plane. Yeah. I, ho- I would hope not. Or onto a White House tour or something. I would very much hope not. Uh, we'll see. Okay. Maybe I'll live in on the edge. All right. Uh, do I still have that drop? No, no. I do not. No. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for joining us, everybody. We're going to get to some listener communication. I want to drop the phone number and give a little public service announcement. Uh, the number is 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love, we welcome your your voicemails and your voice memos. But if you're calling 10 times a day, eh, unlikely you're going to make it on the air. Uh, just because it's a lot to sift through. Mm-hmm. A lot. There's already... So many voicemails that I contend with, with um, I shouldn't say contend with, that I that I listen to and I engage with from the YouTube side of things. Uh, adding a bunch of extras is just uh, untenable. It's more work for Jesse D. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. everybody should be looking to make Jesse D's life easier. Yeah. And yes, I am using myself, my name in the third person. I don't think there's anything wrong with what you just said, by the way. I've seen people that have prominent platforms specifically say that if you are someone who sends them messages several times throughout the day, that they will block you mm. just for doing that. And um, that- I would feel weird blocking, but it's definitely, it becomes an imposition. Yeah, yeah but we have encountered some strange behaviors related to some of that. And, and I think it's okay to kind of set a line of like, hey, we just could like, can you not yeah, message I, us all the time? I, mean, I, shouldn't, or- I shouldn't say I just flatly feel uncomfortable because there, there have been a few that I've blocked, but I'm talking about like 50 messages in a day, th- three minute messages where it seems like someone's in a, a, a mental health crisis or, you know, just obsessively going crazy. So. Well, there's also been times where people will message like several times throughout the day. And then um, after a period of like a week, start lashing out and say like is angry that you're not responding or you're not doing something so we also get that so I mean just like a lot of contact in a short period of time (laughs) kind of sends a message that we're like what's happening here yeah and listen if you call every episode I'm fine with that but congeal your thoughts get them together leave one voicemail yeah I'm fine with every show that's not what I'm saying. I don't want to discourage people from calling. Yeah. I just want to discourage people from calling 10 or 12 times in a day. Yes. <laughs> that would be nice. Let's start off. Last episode, we had a caller. We responded to a caller who had called, um, also from Connecticut, which is strange because this isn't the same caller. Hmm. I think it was Brian from Connecticut was the, was the caller's name. Mm-hmm. And... um. 
they pushed back on something I had said about, or maybe we both shared the opinion, about Michael Shermer and Sam Harris, you know, cozying up or carrying water for, I think was their you their word, uh, for Jordan Peterson. Right. We pushed back. We made an explanation. And now we have a caller talking about an offhanded remark we made about Bill Maher hmm. in that rebuttal. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. This is Grant from Connecticut. Uh, just wanted to give you guys a call because I just listened to your podcast about Barry White and on Bill Maher the other day. And honestly, I don't know really how to feel about it. It's I come from a very conservative family and I got into liberalism and quite frankly became progressive thanks to people like Bill Maher and of course you guys. Thank you a lot, Jesse. Actually, your YouTube videos really helped me. And Honestly, I don't really know what to think about him anymore, and it's tough. Uh, but if you could just shed some light on the situation, I'd appreciate it. Otherwise, uh, keep it up, guys. Rooting for you. Jesse's the best part. Mm. That's what I like. <laughs> Picking the side. Hey, listen, uh, Grant, I would say this. I mean, chiefly what strikes me and what came to mind was it's okay to think differently about a person you once revered or looked up to. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm that way for Sam Harris. Uh, I'm, you know, that's a guy I, I really did think highly of. And, eh, you know, he's, I've softened on him because his positions have really changed or he's really doubled down on some bad takes. Uh, maybe also it's an evolution of myself. All these are contributing factors. Mm -hmm. But... It's absolutely okay to give credit to a guy like Bill Maher who helped you bring you out of conservatism and, and shed some light on liberalism for you. Um, and, and also to admit, eh, yeah, you know what? He's got some shitty takes. He's got some bigoted, hateful views, especially Bill Maher and especially about trans rights. Um, he's a bigot. He's not great. He's also... Anti-vax. He's an anti-science goon. He really is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would go so far as to say anti-vax. He certainly has disclosed some, like, skepticism surrounding vaccines. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that is pretty much anti-vax. And also... Well, it's like he, against the flu shot. Like, he's... Relative to this particular area of science, vaccine science, he's bad news. And GMOs. Don't forget. And GMOs. Don't forget right, GMOs right, right. as yeah, well. Yeah, he's... He does have an anti-science conspiracy theory bent to him mm -hmm. uh, a lot. Mm -hmm. and, but it's okay to say, that was a guy who helped me. Mm -hmm. Humor helped me. His positions helped me. And, you know, I no longer feel that way about him. Right. That's, that's a natural thing. Right. Now, hopefully, you outgrow my influence on your... Yeah, you used to like that, Jesse D, but what a fucking prick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think we could all benefit from being able to do that. And I think people that have been with us for a long time have seen us do that in real time. And, and it takes a lot of time to get through that process of realizing that someone that you used to admire maybe isn't that great. I mean, for yeah. me, it was Dr. Drew. I, I, I revered Dr. Drew. He was a huge influence on me when I was young and listening to Loveline and, and a beneficial one like yeah he was a he was a force for good in your development yeah I mean I I credit him with helping me to understand an intergenerational transmission of trauma and genetic un underpinnings of addiction 
And I mean, he really introduced me to the concepts that I needed to ensure that I remained on track and didn't make mistakes in, in my childhood. So for that, I can still say I'm, I'm grateful to his influence, but he has turned into <laughs> a tool of Fox News and yeah, COVID I mean, skepticism. He's, yeah, he's full on conservative right wing talking points. It, it's, it's not great. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, Grant, thanks for listening. We appreciate your your listenership, your support, and your kind words for sure. You know, uh, anytime somebody will say I'm the best part is uh, it's a red letter day, Brittany Page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need that. I need that. All right, next call. Hey Jesse, hey Brittany, this is Mark Morgan. Uh, this time I'm in my park car, which is basically my mobile office. But I wanted to kind of um, you know make a an opinion on the critical race uh, theory uh, that's argument that's been going on uh, as you may remember or not uh, my home state is Tennessee I grew up there was educated there and found out later in life how woefully uh, educated I truly was and how very whitewashed it, it ended up uh, being. And I caveat on to that, I do not have kids. Uh, the closest thing would be my niece and nephew, but with that, I pretty much follow the uncle code. And yeah, so, but I do have long conversations with my sister, the mother, and she kind of, she agrees with me on certain points. And one of the ones that I brought up to her, I why parents are, are, you know, acting like they don't have rights when all this time they could have been involved in, you know, pre-pandemic in their child's education at any time. They could have picked up the uh, itinerary uh, of the class or the syllabus, my bad, or uh, looked at the books that the child brings home or help them with the homework. Uh, that's also what parent-teacher conference is. Uh, the teacher kind of goes over the material the ca- class has been covering or will be covering in the future. Uh, I just think this hands-off kind of approach with education uh, kind of, uh, I guess, maybe their child's uh, especially, but I would think one might uh, turn that around considering that's the person that spends the most time with your child when they enter into the school system. Anyhow, uh, love you guys. Uh, I, I, you know what? After Jesse admitted to being an asshole, you know, you, you've been elevated, so... You are the best part. Brittany, still love you. And you guys have a good day. Bye. It's, it is very weird. It seems like I picked only calls today. <laughs> Maybe I'm feeling down. <laughs> are you? No, I'm not feeling down. No. So I appreciate all that. I, I, think it's, I think it is important that parents certainly take a role in, the, in their children's um, upbringing relative to education. Mm-hmm. Not upbringing, of course, but it is 
you can't leave it to a parent to decide, especially in today's post-fact kind of a world, what their kids can and can't learn. Otherwise, we're going to end up in a situation, and it's rapidly turning. It's rapidly turning into this, where you have a, a Britney Page being raised and being educated, where she's the, the, Britney's mom is telling the teacher she can't learn about American Indian history. They have to sit out in the hallway, mm-hmm. or teaching you at home that the Holocaust never happened, mm-hmm. and then you going to school and you just listen. Facts are facts. History's history. It doesn't matter whether a teacher doesn't want you to learn about the, the, the American or world history. It, it happened. And you need to be educated to be a well-rounded, well-educated, empathetic, decent, compassionate adult. Yeah. Well, and I often think about that because my parents were intimidating, scary people. Yeah, of course. So when you're face-to-face with one of them and they're telling you what they want from you, it can be... An intimidating situation. And I'm happy that many of my teachers were able to stand against that and still do what they needed to do to help get through to me. I don't remember that necessarily happening when I was younger. Uh, it was more like in high school. But I appreciate any attempt of any teacher to still move past the bigotry that parents express and teach kids the truth because they need that if they're not getting it at home. You... It's been a refrain of the last year or so since like the CRT thing and the, the, the all this no, culture war nonsense has come on the scene that you've really been surprised that the things that were said by your legitimate, openly white supremacist parents mm-hmm. and the views and the tactics that they utilized mm-hmm. are now mainstream republicanism. Mm-hmm. And it's it's more important now than ever to... To teach our children properly and accurately. Yeah. Because one of the two major political parties is hell-bent on banning books and banning ideas that make people feel uncomfortable. It's mm-hmm. it's a weird time. Well, and I do think about that because, I mean, we had pictures of Hitler in the house. Yeah. And, I mean, that's where I was coming from. I was coming to school hearing positive things about Adolf Hitler and having photos of him up in my home and being told that the Holocaust never happened. And this, in the context of Mouse, the children's book about the Holocaust, meant to teach kids about the Holocaust being banned in Tennessee. Yeah. I mean... Mark's home state. Right. I think about the kids that may be in a similar situation being taught things about the Holocaust being raised in active white supremacist environments. And when they're still young, that's that's the best time to get to them and teach them what actually happened so that they have a chance to get out of that and to ensure that they don't become like their parents. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, thanks, thanks Mark, for the call. We appreciate it very much. Uh, moving on. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. This is Shane from Iowa. Uh, just got my uh, magnate. Um pretty excited to put that on the old frigidator anyway uh so i just had to get this off my chest um i work in healthcare. uh i'm fully vaccinated and with the booster because i give a shit about people and myself uh but i just had a just had a small debate with a anti-vaxxer at work who is leaving the job because he doesn't want to get the vaccine. And I 
I really was just trying to understand why. And, of course, he gave me the, the bullshit talking points. More people have died from the vaccine and COVID, which is obviously not even close to true. Um, he doesn't know what's in the vaccine as he stands there drinking a, a one liter of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and I told him, I said, you don't know what's in that Dr. Pepper, but you put it in your body. And he said, well, this isn't from a doctor. I'm like, what? okay, whatever. He's like, what? I said, so... I said, so why exactly do you not want to get vaccinated? Let's let's just start there. And he said, because I don't know what's in it. And I said, well, you don't know what's in the Dr. Pepper. And he said, yeah, I can read it right here on the label. I said, well, you can look up the ingredients of the vaccine. He was like, do it. Get on your phone and do it. So I did. Pulled up Google, ingredients of the COVID vaccine, and sure as shit, the CDC website pulls up all the ingredients of the vaccine, and then he says, well, from my research, that's not everything that's in it. So I I don't know, man. I, I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is if you work in healthcare and you don't want to get a couple shots to protect the people that you work with, let alone yourself and your family, then I guess you're probably in the wrong profession. And you should probably go, I don't know, work at McDonald's or something. I don't know. Anyway. I've been arguing with myself for the last half hour why the whole conversation even happened, but I can't come up with any good ideas. Maybe you can come up with something better. Uh, anyway, love what you do. Keep up the good work. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. I can definitely re- relate to having those conversations with myself after I get into a discussion with someone like this and it's it's too late to just stop you gotta kind of finish it well i i start to think about did it matter what what was the point was it worth it and this conversation used to happen a lot more often when i would engage people on facebook which i don't really do anymore because i really don't see the point like i had a recent situation where some person from high school that i never talked to that i don't even know commented on one of my my links about a study that came out recently and was talking about how giving money to poor people just enables laziness and blah, blah, blah. And what's the point in engaging with that unless I'm just going to say, well, give me the research that supports your statements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what research are they going to give me? They're going to Google giving money to poor people supports laziness. And they're going to find like the first link that comes up and then they're going to give me that because that's how they find information. It's whatever whatever um, validates their particular opinion. Right. And so I start going through, like, how is this going to work now? And then I decide it's not worth my time. But I would say in this case, you never know when the needle's going to be moved, right? I mean, you take out your phone, you Google, you find that there's a list of ingredients and this person said that they didn't know what was in the vaccine. And here they are seeing that... What? What? There's a list of ingredients on the CDC website. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't show it in the moment, right? But maybe there's something in the back of their head where they're thinking to themselves, oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't know that. Maybe I need to look into that. It's possible. That's the optimist in me. But I also understand the perspective of what was the point of this? Did it do any good? You just never know. Yeah, well, you could look at it this way, that the information that you give it's certainly not going to do any harm. If right. anything, it's going to do any good, do some good. 
And at the very least, it's just you walk away even Steven. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so. Well, and they don't seem to be getting the vaccine anyway. So the worst is, I guess, they double down and like continue to not get the vaccine. But yeah, best case scenario is after you talk to them, they like run out and get it that day. And we know that's not going to happen. So <laughs> all we're looking for is moving the needle. And maybe you did that. He'd at least have to finish his Dr. Pepper. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Shane, for the call. We appreciate it very much. I think we have an email. We do. Hey, Jesse and Brittany, I'm listening to episode 771, and I seriously laughed out loud when you played the clip of the anti-vaxxer saying the thing about the 17,000 doctors agreeing with their bullshit. I'm a statistics nerd, so I thought to myself, that must be a tiny fraction of all the doctors that exist, even if you take only actual physicians. A quick Google search suggests that there are just over 1 million doctors in the U.S. as of September 2021. So even if there were 17,000 of those who somehow agreed with these arseholes, it represents around 1.6% of doctors. So given the pretty much guaranteed fact that they're counting any kind of person who has any kind of doctor in front of their name, it makes the fraction even tinier. Anyway, just wanted to pass on what I thought was humorous. Hope you're both doing great. Brittany, please stop falling down the stairs. You're going to give Jesse a heart attack, and we can't afford to lose either one of you since you're both the best part. (laughs) Cheers, Kevin in Canada. You um, have indeed, Kevin, you will be happy to, to know, uh, you'll be happy at this announcement, Brittany, we, 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 we bought one of those this many days since <laughs> industrial accident, except yeah. it says since Brittany has fallen down the stairs, yeah. and uh, it has it's only happened the one time so far. Yeah. Well, thank you to everyone who has reached out about me falling down the stairs, even though it's been quite embarrassing to get messages about it. I'm doing okay, although still in pain and still complaining. You know, it's funny because we've we've had a friend staying with us, and yesterday he went to say, How, are you feeling better today? Because I haven't heard you complain. <laughs> and he stopped himself, and I was like, no, go ahead. I hear you. You're complaining. You haven't heard me complaining today, right? Yeah, it was right? a full day of no one could rest without hearing in any five-minute interval that you fell down the stairs, and what exact malady was now re- rearing its ugly head well, I was as having, a result. I was having pain all the way up to my neck through the, my left arm. My rib cage was hurting anytime I laughed. So, yeah, I was in significant pain, and everyone needed to hear about also, it. Also, your dare tailbone. You? Oh, yeah. Even that's sitting been... on the bed. And yeah. you finally pelotoned today. I did. It went okay. You seemed to do okay. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm okay. So you're on the men. Yeah. It's also was nice knowing that certain people in our personal lives mm-hmm. actually listen to the show <laughs> because they texted you like, how are you doing okay from falling down the stairs? Yeah, that's how some people found out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have another email. Hey, y'all. I had a few things I wanted to respond to from episode 771. First, yes, Jesse is a judgmental cock. I have no additional analysis. Just wanted to co-sign that comment from Jesse. Second, regarding the so-called anti-CRT bills that Republicans have passed or are pushing in many states, I think we need to take a different tactic. In many cases, these bills don't even ban CRT, which would be bad enough, but they instead ban divisive concepts or ideas that make students of a particular race feel bad. 
These are extraordinarily vague bills that leave key terms undefined. This means that they really are there to chill speech on any topic that the right-wing media wants to whip up their base about. Right now it's CRT, but we're seeing this shift to LGBTQ recognition and acceptance as well. This is a blatant violation of freedom of speech, so let's say that instead. These bills are attacks on the freedom of speech of teachers and the rights of students to a reality-based education. Finally, I want to respond to the discussion around Michael Shermer. The primary reason I dislike him is that he's a bad skeptic. He owns the skeptic.com domain and skeptic magazine, but he's bad at using skeptical principles to inform his views. A great example of this is his recent platforming of Abigail Schreier to spread an anti-trans moral panic based on terrible arguments and poor or non-existent data slash studies. He allows his conservative politics to cloud his judgment of what is true. He's the wrong person to look to for tips on critical thinking. As always, Brittany is the best part, and now she has a license from the state of California to prove it. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Marcus. If I had the hello, Marcus, I would play it, but I just frantically searched for it while you were reading and while I was ignoring the email and uh, everything you said, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't find it, so I'll have to re-clip it. Or now that you're in charge of clips, you can make it for me. I will. So Marcus actually had a correction for you as well, and... I don't need to hear that. We don't need to hear that. DOs are real doctors. The joke is that they're just MDs who did poorly on the MCAT. The history of osteopathic medicine is a little iffy, but today's DOs are usually the same as MDs and how they practice. That, that is what I learned afterward mm-hmm. uh, from someone who is uh, getting ready to go to medical school, a friend of ours. Yeah. Um, that it sounds like, to me, this is anecdotal or just my, my layman understanding of it, the old school DOs are kind of quacky tack, and then the new ones are, you know, it's uh, it's more reputable. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And I'm probably going to get corrected on that, so fuck you all. Well, it's funny this this Michael Shermer thing came up with Marcus writing this, because the day after we released the previous episode where we talked about it, I got my weekly... You still get the, the skeptic... Yeah, e-skeptic. Yeah, that's right. And in it, they are releasing an entire skeptic magazine about trans issues. Right, just a, a, a bigot edition of skeptic magazine. It is. This is this is what they wrote in in the email. Social psychologist Carol Tavers thoughtfully explores and questions quote affirmative trans medicine. Thoughtfully explores and questions. Yeah. Affirmative trans medicine. Yeah. The latest dangerous medical practice bubble. Few question the mystifying explosion of cases of gender dysphoria among adolescents and the proliferation of clinics to treat them. Vulnerable teens and baffled parents resort to internet misinformation and succumb to biased media influence, while experts spurn exploratory therapies and promote untested treatments that have long-term effects. Dissenters are vilified and silenced as being transphobic. So this this is a page out of, like, when Mahmoud Ahmadinejad the president of Iran said, we don't have any gays in Iran. I mm-hmm. mean, w- why are there more trans people now? Well, because it's safe to, to, to announce and to come out that you're trans. It's safe now. Safer, safer let's say. Yeah. Safer. Safer. The same thing in like the, the 40s and the 30s. Well, there were way, way fewer gays back then. Yeah, because they couldn't say they were gay for fear of death. Mm-hmm. For fear of being fired from their job. Now it's not the case. So people are free to be who they are. Michael Shermer is, should be smarter than that. 
but he's just outing himself as a fucking anti-trans bigot. But this also explains why the so-called atheist community wraps their arms around Jordan Peterson, who is a wannabe evangelical, like, megachurch leader. Yeah, he's a nutter butter, uh, religious nutter butter. And he just went on Joe Rogan. You know, Joe Rogan, we've been talking a lot about him. Dapper dress and his and his capris and his and his uh, his fucking tuxedo jacket or whatever. I think he's turning into Roger Stone. He, I think that's what's it happening is. here. It's like a slow transformation. Yeah, I actually I follow a few academics that have talked about how they used to be in circles with him and how they will talk about not understanding what happened to him. Like that he used to be a respected person and that this has just been a quick transformation that they don't really understand. Well, it's, I wish I had a cash register. Cha-ching! Because <laughs> that's what it's about. Yeah. I mean, he went from, you know, uh, probably a decent living as a professor at the University of Toronto mm-hmm. to making seventy or $80,000 a month with his fucking grift of making your bed. Yeah. So he went on Joe Rogan for a four and a half hour conversation. Oh, my God. I almost gagged just a four... Uh, that's just come on. And come on. Some clips have come out of that. I haven't listened to the whole thing and I won't. I'm telling you that I won't, even though you know me. I get tempted. <laughs> I get tempted. Although I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to listen to it because I don't want to support I don't want to support him on Spotify. You know, Neil Young oh, yeah, made an yeah. ultimatum, came out and said it's either Young or Rogan. And they I chose anti science, anti vax. Dumb fuck Joe Rogan. They did. Over a- a- American legend. Yeah. Has a heart of gold. Heart of gold. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. One of the things that they talked about was race. Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan. They, they had a conversation specifically about Michael Eric Dyson, who they claimed is not black. Who is, by the way, black. Depending on who you ask, either you're a voice of reason and rationality and and uh, you know, uh, personal responsibility, or you're a voice of intolerance and bigotry and anger and hateful sexual oppression. Uh, what did Michael prejudice. Eric Dyson call you? Uh, a mean, mean, angry an, white mean, man. Yeah, and and a mean, angry white man. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. You're not mean at all. Yeah, yeah. That's what's dumb about that statement. It's you're not mean at all. It's I uh, am white. Actually, that's a lie too. <laughs> I'm kind of tan. And he was actually not black. Tan, he was sort of brown. What the fuck am I? Because I'm I'm darker than you. Yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. but neither of us are white. Well, I'm Italian. And mostly. he was brown, not black. Well, isn't that weird? Yeah, this, it's really the, weird. The black and white thing is so strange yeah, because like the shades are so tan and brown. There's such a spectrum of shades of people. Unless you're talking to someone who is like. 100% African from the darkest place where they're not wearing any Whoa. clothes all day and they've developed all that melanin to protect themselves from the sun. You know, it, even the term black is weird. It's a, mm. it's a, and when you use it for people that are literally my color, it becomes very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. This is true. It's like, So you were asking me. America's thought leaders. Yeah, man. I mean, listen. <laughs> Until he got to like the the full bore racism there, mm-hmm. unless they're from the darkest parts of Africa, it was like listening to a couple fucking six year olds talk about why do they say black, mommy? That man's not black. I'm not white. <laughs> I mean, it's it it seriously is like two toddlers talking about race. Yeah, just 
but they're just being willfully obtuse. That of course we don't mean they are black or that we are white like a piece of paper. Yeah. These are these are colloquialisms that we use to categorize ourselves. It, it's should we be doing it? I don't know. But come the fuck on. Don't be an asshole. Well, I I I don't know what the underlying motivation was for the discussion. I guess that's what I am missing because I haven't listened to the four and a half hour conversation. But I would hope that I don't have to listen to the four and a half hour conversation to understand the context to know it's just uh, a couple of goofballs talking about meaningless things that they can't understand. Yeah, or... the, pro- the problem is hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people listen to this and think, yeah, man. Yeah, they're really spitting the truth. Well, it they're gets, putting it all out there. These guys are filled with wisdom and they're sharing it with us. It gets worse because there is a significant word salad that occurs when Jordan Peterson attempts to talk about the research on climate change. Hard to sort out. The climate change one is a weird one. So that well, one that's because there's no such thing as climate, right? Climate and everything are the same word. And I, that's what bothers me about the climate change types. It's like, this is something that bothers me about it technically. It's like, well, climate is about everything. So, okay, but your models aren't based on everything. Your models are based on Warming. a set number of variables. Yeah. So that means you've reduced the variables, which are everything, to that set. Well, how did you decide which set of variables to include in the equation if it's about everything? And that's not just a criticism. That's like, if it's about everything, your models aren't right. Because mm. your models do not and cannot model everything. What do you mean by everything when you say... <laughs> you know what he sounds like to me? He, he does sound like someone, and not like I've had a lot of experience with people, but you know, I haven't been to Littleness in my family. It sounds like someone who's in the middle of a psychotic episode. Like, they're all of these thoughts and they're talking all these high-minded things that make a lot of sense to them, but really to no one else. Yeah, that's not the read that I get on it. It's more of someone who huh. is... Tr- you mean the licensed clinical psychologist, the the, the, the the psychotherapist doesn't get the same read. The person who worked in a locked psychiatric hospital isn't taking away the same information that the dumb guy on this side of the table is taking away. That's right. And All I have right. to correct, not a licensed clinical psychologist, you need a PhD That's why for I that. corrected myself, okay. psychotherapist. So I, I think that this is someone trying to virtue signal, honestly, that's really what it comes down to, virtual, virtue signal some sort of intelligence level. I think that that's what he's trying to do. By displaying I, I found a like term talking about the models and all that well i found a term for this that i really liked scientific nihilism hmm. and it's basically this idea that we can't truly know or understand anything anything yeah 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 and that's kind of what he's doing is it's like this pseudo intellectual discussion of well how do we know anything is anything man how do we really <laughs> again, identify the truth about anything again leading hundreds of thousands if not millions of people to have that exact attitude oh yeah they really they really got down to the to the meat of it man yeah how can we even know yeah and what i think is interesting about the response to this is this word salad is not any different than other word salads that have come out of Jordan Peterson's mouth. This is the way he has communicated for years. I remember people when he first was on the map of this prominent figure as this intellectual that people were holding up, 
there were people in my life that I respected that started to defend him. And I remember having conversations asking them, like, what do you think he said in this clip? What, oh, what is yeah. he saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there was an inability to explain what he was saying, and they would admit that that's the appeal. So do you think, do you think it's like a dumb guy who is confused by what he said, and rather than think, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense, they think, oh... It must be so high-minded that I'm confused by it. Yeah, and I think that, honestly, that's why people think Ben Shapiro is so smart, because he talks so fast. (laughs) And I really believe there's something to that. I said, certified freak, seven days a week. There he is. (laughs) Hop on top, I want to ride. I do a kegel while it's inside. Ben, you nasty little boy. Yeah, people... People get bamboozled by certain rhetorical devices. Yeah, for sure. And I think that we all need to be more aware of that because we all have that tendency. We all have insecurities. We all wonder if we're smart enough, if we're capable enough to be in certain conversations. At least I hope we all are. I know I am. Imposter syndrome McGee over here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I know that very real tendency, but I think it's important to be able to take a step back and say, I don't know what this person is talking about. And is that just me? Yeah, you know? Listen, if you have to rewind something and listen to it three or four times to try to glean some meaning, but it's not that smart if you have to do that. Smart people speak in everyday language. Not mm-hmm. everyone talks, oh, well, the, the models, the climate, is every, it's everything. It's all things. We'll Go make know. your bed. <laughs> we'll never know. There's so many variables. <laughs> So anyway. But I love how Joe Rogan attempted to make sense of it. He's like, so what do you mean by everything? <laughs> <laughs> so what's happening right now? We would love to hear from you about this. <laughs> we would love to know how you feel about this. Mm-hmm. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash Podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Adam C. Adam C. Tufelhund 1969. <laughs> what? What? Tufelhund 1969. Tufelhund, I think it's like, two, I don't know how to speak German, but it's like Tufelhund was Devil Dogs or, or Hounds of Hell. It's mm. where Marines got their nickname of oh, Devil Dogs. okay. Tufelhund. So this is a bird ball and anchor it's reference. It's a bird ball and anchor guy. Got it. Okay. I I am not certain how to pronounce this name, so I'm hoping it's Garrett D. Garrett D. Nikki D. Nikki D. Kyle R. Kyle R. Joel R. Joel R. Linda L. Linda L. And we would like to give a special shout out to Carolyn S. Carolyn S. Carolyn S. More than doubled the pledge. Fantastic. <laughs> So we have an update. We have turned on annual Patreon memberships. If you are currently a Patreon supporter who gives every month, there's no change unless you want there to be a change. 
going forward, you still have the option to do a monthly pledge, but you have the option to do an annual pledge instead if you want to. So when you go to the page... An annual pledge with like a 10% discount. Yeah, when you go to the page, it shows you all of the options per month, but under each option per month, it says, or you can save 10% by signing up for an annual membership. So that is now a new option. We've gotten messages over the years saying, I would prefer to pay per year. Is there any way to do that? And now there is. So thank you to Patreon for activating that for us. We have turned that on. So if that's something that you're interested in, please go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. Yep. There you go. You finally got there. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't help the way that you were looking at me, creating a lot of pressure on me. Okay. That's, that's what I do. All right. So thank you so much for your support, everyone. We would not be able to do this without you. And we are looking forward to the things that are in store for us for 2022. Including this Saturday. We have our first Patreon call of the 2022 new year. I'm trying to stall so I can... You don't remember what time it is? Well, I'm pretty sure it's at 1 p.m. Eastern. That sounds about right. Yes. I don't know, though. It might be wrong. But 1 p.m. Eastern is 11 p.m. 11 a.m. God damn. Is 11 a.m. on the West Coast. So that's... That's what we're going to do. We are doing 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. on the West Coast. 10 a.m. 10, 11, 12, 1. That's right. I'm dumb and not good at math. Yes. So see you all on the Zoom Hangouts if you are in the appropriate Patreon tier. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So the cyber bullying of Justice Breyer was successful, and he announced today that he is going to be retiring from the Supreme Court. I wonder if the pressure, I don't know if the public pressure on him specifically is to, 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 to be blamed or to be credited, but certainly the public pressure affected and impacted the Biden administration Mm -hmm. to ride his ass to get him to quit. Well, I don't know. I was watching old interviews. And when I say old, I mean from like six months ago. (laughs) Because he was was recently making the rounds and he was asked about this everywhere he went. Yeah, he was selling a book. And and they were asking him everywhere he went about retirement. And there was one interview in particular where he was quite irritated (laughs) and didn't want to talk about it. And in fact, the interviewer said, I know that you don't like to talk about this. And I almost wonder if it was because he knew that he planned on retiring, but he couldn't say it yet. Oh, yeah. And so he was frustrated how there was all of this negative attention surrounding him not just saying he's going to retire because he's sitting there thinking like, listen, guys, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to retire, but I'm just not saying it yet. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Well, he's also he's old. Yes. I mean, yes. it's 83, I believe. Oldest member of the Supreme Court. Yeah, it, it's it, we don't want to get caught in another situation where it's a, a Ruth Bader Ginsburg who who dies on the bench. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the letter that he gave to President Biden today says, I am writing to tell you that I have decided to retire from regular active judicial service as an associate justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Blah, blah, blah. I intend this decision to take effect when the court rises for the summer recess this year, parenthetically, typically late June or early July, assuming that by then my successor has been nominated and confirmed. And confirmed. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Waiting to actually leave the bench Mm -hmm. so we're not stuck with a 
6-2 Supreme Court, Mm -hmm. waiting until someone is actually confirmed and ready to take office. Choosing someone to sit in the Supreme Court, I believe, is one of the most serious constitutional responsibility a president has. Our process is going to be rigorous. I will select a nominee worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy of excellence and decency. While I've been studying candidates' backgrounds and writings, I've made no decision except one. The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. It's long overdue in my view. I made that commitment during the campaign for president, and I will keep that commitment. I will fully do what I said I'd do. I will fulfill my duty to select a justice, not only with the Senate's consent, but with his advice. You've heard me say in other nomination processes that the Constitution says seek the advice and consent, but the advice as well of the Senate. I'm going to invite senators from both parties to offer their ideas and points of view. I'll also consult with leading scholars and lawyers. And I'm fortunate to have advising me in the selection process, Vice President Kamala Harris. She's an exceptional lawyer, former Attorney General of the State of California, former member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. I will listen carefully to all the advice I'm given, and I'll study the records and former cases carefully. I'll meet with the potential nominees, and it is my intention, my intention to announce my decision before the end of February. I have made no choice at this point. Once I select a nominee, I will ask the Senate to move promptly on my choice. In the end, I will nominate a historic candidate, someone who's worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy, and someone who, like Justice Breyer, will provide incredible service on the United States Supreme Court. So I I don't know who this is for, because Mitch McConnell has already warned President Biden not to outsource his Supreme Court pick to the radical left. Fucking please, after they go to the, the, the Federalist Society, Donald Trump, for all of his picks, all of them. Right. He just outsourced <laughs> it altogether to a radical organization. Well, again, regardless of who President Biden chooses, it's going to be deemed a radical leftist by Mitch McConnell. So it doesn't actually matter. Well, the, the Republican Party right now considers... Joe Biden, a <laughs> radical leftist. I mean, get the fuck out of here. Nothing they say can be taken seriously. Yeah, so you have Susan Collins coming out and saying that there's no rush on this. There's right. plenty of time. But also you have Dianne Feinstein, who came out and said the exact same thing. Let, let me let me say this no about Dianne Feinstein. Let me, let me say this. We're better off having no senator being residents of Washington, D.C. than we were having Dianne Feinstein as our senator Living in California. She is just fucking worthless. Well, also, let us not forget that Amy Coney Barrett was jammed through in 30 days. Mm -hmm. The quickest nomination to confirmation in the history of the court. Mm -hmm. So they can shut their fucking mouths. Yeah. Well, and I hope my well isn't perceived as pushing back against what you said about uh, Dianne Feinstein. (laughs) It's just that I was getting ready to say a sentence. (laughs) And then it was was in the middle of your sentence. Did Oh, the beginning of your sentence interrupted the middle of mine? That's correct. Or yeah. the middle of my sentence interrupted the beginning of yours? Which is unusual, because usually it's you interrupting nope, and talking I over me. I never interrupt. I don't know what you're talking mm, about. Interesting. I have never 
talked over you. So according to it is a fact. White House that reporter everyone knows Caitlin Collins. That when I speak, President it Biden's is completely team independent is of the things that you say. Expected to begin say. reaching out to and repeat potentially meeting saying. with. Po- repeat the Caitlin you Collins thing. Yeah. <laughs> According to reporting from Caitlin Collins, President Biden's team is expected to begin reaching out to and potentially meeting with possible Supreme Court nominees as soon as next week. The White House is expected to work from a list of 10 or fewer people. And the media has been focusing on three top nominees. President Biden stands by that campaign pledge to nominate a black woman to a lifetime appointment on the Supreme Court and pointed to the diversity of judicial nominees the president has already installed on the federal bench. Does the president believe that the current makeup of the court accurately reflects America's demographics. He has nominated uh, a historic number of uh, of judges uh, who are people of color, a historic, uh, I don't know if it's a historic number of women, but a, a majority of the judges he has nominated are women. Uh, that speaks to his desire and his interest in having courts around the country that look like America and that represent the experiences of America. President Biden has nominated 62 women to the federal judiciary, including 19 black women. Possible replacements for Justice Breyer, according to NBC News, include Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, whom the president interviewed personally for her position on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, seen by some as a farm league for the high court. And California Supreme Court Justice Leandra Kruger, South Carolina Democrat and Keep Biden ally Jim Clyburn has backed Judge Michelle Childs from his home state to fill the vacancy. Any appointment would come at an inflection point for Mr. Biden, a potentially legacy-defining pick after a series of policy defeats and before that consequential midterm election that could cost Democrats their majority. President Biden's own experience with these nominations runs deep, chairing the Senate Judiciary Committee for eight years and witnessing firsthand the protracted failed confirmation of Judge Merrick Garland in 2016. As to whether all 50 Democrats would unite behind the president's pick, today the press secretary told me that's the hope. Chef? And likely the expectation. Kayla Tauchi, thank you. Ah, it's good to hear Chef's voice. Uh, listen, in the wake of this, of course, uh, conservatives all over the, uh, the, the country and all over the, the, the Internet have lost their goddamn minds. Uh, Tommy Lahren said that uh, it, is, it is radical that, that Joe Biden is, is just appealing to the radical impact or influence of his, of his base. So in, in, in so many words, is saying that it's a radical thing to appoint a black woman to the bench. Uh, it's it just, they're also doing the thing where it's like, well, shouldn't we pick the most qualified person? As though that person just... It's impossible that it could be a black woman to be the most qualified. Right. That it just always happens to be a white man. Is that what people think? I mean, it must be because all of the women, certainly uh, Kruger and and Jackson are exceedingly qualified, mm-hmm. exceedingly intelligent, exceedingly um, good at what they do already. One being on the California Supreme Court, the other being here, the appellate, di- the appellate district court in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm stellar at what they do they would be fantastic jurists but because he said that he wants to appoint the first black woman just like reagan did in 1980 said he would appoint the first woman to the supreme court they didn't they don't say anything about that but because it's a black woman there's all kinds of tears to be shed right right well and from the usual suspects that are just best ignored yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) it's just gross speaking of gross Glenn Youngkin. Yes. 
Glenn Youngkin has yeah. uh, set up. He was doing an interview with the Washington Post, and he he made this quote about he announced the tip line that they have this line to for citizens and parents to inform on their teachers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really a scary dystopian type of thing. Yeah, using the phrase harkening back to Marcus's email at the beginning of the show. Was that the beginning? Maybe the middle of the show? I don't know. Divisive concepts. Yeah, divisive subjects. And with conservatives being the warriors when it comes to freedom of speech. That's another air quote. Yeah. Warriors. Free speech warriors. You would think that they would be up in arms about this tip line to report teachers to the state. Governor Glenn Youngkin says he wants parents to keep an eye out for divisive practices within Virginia schools and report them to his office. He made the comments during a recent radio interview that has sparked criticism from teachers here in Hampton Roads. Dana Smith explains why. In an interview with conservative radio host John Fredericks, Governor Glenn Youngkin touted an email helpline as a way for parents to report concerns they have about their child's school to state government. Kathleen Slindy at the Virginia Beach Education Association said Youngkin's comments undermine the integrity of teachers. We have great confidence in the professionalism and the integrity of our teachers. And to have our governor questioning that is demoralizing to teachers and shows a a grave lack of respect for us. Youngkin told Fredericks he wants parents to send his office reports and observations about divisive practices within Virginian schools for his team to catalog so they can be sure they're rooting it out. Newport News teacher Mary Vouse also took issue with Youngkin's comments. I feel like he is undermining our public schools. Actions like this are just going to scare more teachers and school workers out of out of schools. A spokesperson for the governor tells us the email address helpeducation at governor.virginia.gov is a resource for parents, teachers, and students to relay any questions or concerns. The statement went on to say Governor Youngkin was elected to serve all Virginians and has utilized a customary constituent service to hear from Virginians and solicit feedback. Dana Smith, 13 News Now. In the interview with John Fredericks, Youngkin pointed to critical race theory as an example of what he believes is an inherently divisive teaching practice. The governor signed an executive order on day one banning those types of practices. CRT (laughs) has never been taught in Virginia public schools. There we go. That's the way to do it. I thought Marcus would like that. CRT has never been taught in, uh, in Virginia public schools, except if it's a public law school, you dumb fucks. Mm-hmm. And again, for your edification, and we will put this email in the show notes, it is helpeducation at governor.virginia.gov. And that is where we're going to leave you. We love you guys. We appreciate you. We want to hear from you. You can call, leave us a voicemail, 657-464-7609. And of course, you can email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We will see you next time. And until we do, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt.